electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, welcome to the half. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, moving targets as yet another Wall Street firm bumps up its view for stocks. We're going to discuss with the investment committee, which has more new moves to debate. Joining me for the hour today, Josh Brown, Stephanie Link, Jason Snipe, Rob Seachin. We will take you to the markets. Dow's down about 164, 165. S&P is a fractional loser, as you see right there. NASDAQ trying to get something going as well. Steph, I turn to you. So we mentioned Wall Street targets going up. Yep. Barclays, the latest, 5,300 is where they go. So S&P right now is at five, we'll call it 5,000 and change. They say 5,300 up from 48. And they say it's because of big tech. What do you think? Not just big tech. I think you're seeing a broadening out. I think earnings have been better than expected. 10% for this quarter, expected for this year to be uh, up about 10 to 12%. We talk about the consumer, we talk about jobs, we talk about manufacturing. Let me give you some examples. Chipotle, total revenues were up 15% in their quarter. Carnival Cruise, up 40%. Marriott, up 7% in RevPAR, up 17% internationally in RevPAR. Even Procter & Gamble, big and boring Procter & Gamble, had organic growth at the high end of its three to five percent organic growth rate. So mm -hmm. that's on that side of the equation, the consumer. On the manufacturing side, if you look at GE, you look at United Rentals, you look at Eaton, you're talking about 10 to 15 percent top line growth and margins across the board have been steady to slightly higher. And so I think this is not multiple expansion like, what, like it was last year, Scott, with the market going up. Mm -hmm. This is all about earnings going higher, being better than expected. Okay. And it's because the economy is growing at a three percent clip, which is much better than people thought, and okay. confidence at companies are much more um, improved this year, and they're spending, and CapEx is starting to build. All right, good stuff. Um, I guess the question then, Jason Snipe, is can you count on non-tech, can you count on it getting you to 5,300? If we're going to get there, one suggestion by Barclays is we're going to get there primarily due to big tech. Steph makes an argument that it's not just that. A lot of other things can work. The fundamentals around what Steph says are true yep. doesn't necessarily mean the stocks are going to behave like the fundamentals suggest they should. Right. How would you answer the question? I think we can. I think we can, and I think we're going to get help from other places. If I look at PMIs that are starting to expand, getting into expansion territory, if I look at ISMs, which are bottoming, and I think it will start to start to roll up, I think about other parts of the market that have not participated last year that are starting to participate this year. If we look at industrials, we look at transport, Steph named a lot of the names that have done some work. So I do think these names, other parts of the economy can grow, and I think that's absolutely what can get us a fit. So, I mean, I'm looking at the biggest decline in durable since April of 2020. Consumer confidence was below expectations. I feel, Rob, whenever there is a reason to have a more defensive-like tilt, it's not from the traditional defensive tilts, utilities, staples, what have you. It's mega cap. 
Go back to the mega caps. When in doubt, you can play offense there. You can play defense there. How do you assess this question of whether you can count on these other areas to get you to 53 if you think we're going there? Well, well, first off, on the durable goods decline, it turns out that people don't want doorless planes. I mean, that was a big part <laughs> of what happened there. They're still ordering computers. They were up 1.4% month on month. And so I think it's an environment, Scott, where you have to respect momentum, you have to respect the economic trajectory, which have been positive, and you have to respect earnings revisions, which have been concentrated in some of the, the, the mega cap names, which have been driving price performance of the indices. That said, you also have to be at the same time mindful of valuation and mindful of the fact that the market has to recalibrate to maybe less interest rate cuts than it once expected. Isn't it, isn't it kind of already doing that? Right. It seems to be, It is, but it, it, dare it, I say, okay with it. Dare I say, okay with it. Because the do, reason Steph says, like earnings, earnings, better earnings have helped with the recalibration. If the earnings were bad, and there were going to be fewer cuts and longer out, I think we'd have a problem. Well, you need yeah. multiple expansion, which is what we got last year. And Steph says we're not getting that this year. No, but we're yeah. getting better earnings this year. Well, that's my point. Yeah. Selectively. Again, I think this is an environment where you just can't say every sector is delivering that. You have secular trends in some sectors. You have stocks that have built incredible moats in other places. So when you ask the question, can we move higher from a market standpoint, with this broadening out? Yeah, can the S&P get to 5,300 without relying on, on big tech to take you there? You seem a little I, 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 would, I, I would say you need tech and it's gonna continue to have that momentum. I would say healthcare now has some positive earnings momentum and obviously consumers had some, uh, communications rather, has had some momentum. So I think if those can do continue to do well, you will get there. I don't think we're going to see this massive broadening out. Massive. I think it's going to be selective. Josh Brown, what about yourself? I'm on the complete opposite side, unfortunately, as my pal Rob Seachin. I think he has this absolutely backwards. I want to be in anything but mega cap tech at this current moment. Uh, those stocks are not leading. And as they bleed market cap, which we watched Alphabet bleed market cap this week, uh, the money is going elsewhere. And what's really great is that it's going everywhere else. My son is in the stock market competition this uh, spring. So he basically has like 90 days to outtrade uh, everyone else. You, it's not an investing contest. You have to look at setups that are breaking out right now. We went through this exercise the other night. We looked at all-time highs, not 52-week highs, S&P 500 names making all-time highs. There are 133 of them right now. Look at what's on that list. It ain't Apple. It ain't Alphabet. It's Caterpillar. It's Train Technologies, Eaton, Merck, Procter & Gamble, Colgate, Vulcan Materials, McDonald's, Masco, Rollins, J.P. Morgan, Walmart. This is every sector, almost every sector you could think of, with like the exception of maybe utilities and energy, has stocks that big, really important stocks that are within 5% of, again, not year highs, all-time highs. It's a, it's a Josh, great Josh, we're saying the same thing, though. You, that you're are not naming enough to look away from mega cap technology. That's not going to be defensive. Rob, 
those stocks hey, are hey, Josh, we're saying the exact, we're saying the exact same thing. You're naming selective stocks in other sectors that are outperforming. You're not naming the entire the sector. Stocks. The biggest You're, stocks. No question, because the biggest names have the less exposure to high cost of financing. They have the moats. Of course, it's the same message. Same exact I could run message. The same screen with Russell. I could run the same screen with Russell 1000, and I can give you 30, 40, $50 billion market cap companies. The story is the same. Take a look. Here's an example. Look at this company. Look, look, at, look at this uh, AJG. This is an insurance broker. This is this is like Arthur not a, a sexy stock it? at all. AJG. Arthur J. Gallagher oh, is. It looks like it's doing. It looks like it's doing AI. Look at this chart. This is a fifty billion dollar market cap. It's not a leader in its sector. It's not Berkshire Hathaway. I'm telling you, there are hundreds and hundreds of setups in mid, large, uh, and super large cap categories. Almost every sector, and I think that augurs well. For the S and P 500, I want to be in S and P names, not Nasdaq names, right now. Okay, perfect setup, relevant, especially today because the new moves that we have are outside of the areas that we talk about every day. The Mag Seven, Jason Snipe. Speaking of Caterpillar, yeah, which Josh mentioned, you bought it. I did. Tell me why. And, and listen, I mean, Josh made a lot of great points. I mean, it's up 9%, oh, close to 10% year to date. It's up over 30% in the last three months. One of the largest manufacturers of construction and mining equipment, right? Away from the artificial intelligence technology boom. Um, but if I look at the earnings and I look at EPS, EPS has grown 35% year over year. Um, margins are expansive, really strong balance sheet. These are names that you could you could add to. Again, 3% off its 52-week high, but growing and still, still Steph- has opportunity. Stephanie Link, what do you think of this move of buying Caterpillar? Name you've been, you know, in I, the past. Yes. I mean, I, if you think that PMIs are bottoming, if there's a huge correlation. Yeah. There's no question about it. You could probably even throw in John Deere, which acts right. horribly, but it's right. but it, it's a laggard, yeah. but it will probably benefit as well. So 100% right. agree. I think there's just other places that I would rather own that are maybe off the radar screen of other of other investors, yeah. but it's a great company. But by the way, AI, they're doing a ton 100%. With, with AI. And right. so they're more well, I mean, but everybody's, everybody's going to do a ton with AI. No, no, but they're, but margins, they're not AI plays. I mean, because they, they you can say like every, little, every single stock in this building is an, is an AI play. You plan. can say that, sure, but they have shown evidence that margins have expanded in the last four quarters when they put in place AI. No, I, I so, but you technology. know my point. I you know do, I'm, I'm not buying like, it for AI. everybody in but, this building is going to try to claim I, that the AI is a beneficiary. But I buy margin expansion. And if AI is helping on margin expansion, I'll take that all day long. All right. Well, you bought more Sherwin-Williams. You bought more Qantas services. Tell me why. So, you know, housing is my favorite theme for 2024. Sherwin-Williams is a housing play. About all about paint. They've spent so much money on paint and improving it. And their SGNA last quarter was up 15 percent. And what did Home Depot and Lowe's call out t- today on their earnings report? Or at least Lowe's today, Home Depot last week, paint being stronger than expected. This company actually had a decline in earnings 4% year over year because housing really didn't have a good year last year. This year, I think that's going to play catch up. So you're going to see a reversal in total in, in the earnings, in total revenue. I think gross margins up 580 basis points last quarter was impressive. I think you're going to continue to see that. Quanta services, we talked about it last week. Mm-hmm. I mean, we had earnings up 
21%, revenues up 30%. Um, they have a backlog of 30 billion. This is all about the grid. This is all about utility capex. And I think uh, utility capex has no choice but to go higher. And I think this is off the radar screen to some degree. Yep, I got you. Uh, Josh Brown, what do you think of these moves? I know you cited Caterpillar uh, at the very top of of your uh, views on where we are right now, but you got you got Cat, you got Sherwin, you got Quanta, and you can pick others that you like. Look, I think all of what Stephanie's describing is 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 uh, exactly the way I'm thinking. This is the middle of the cycle. It's not early cycle, but it's not late cycle. And exactly the names that she's talking about and the themes that she's uh, talking about is what should be working right now. And the good news is that it really is what's working right now. And a lot of these stocks just don't have a ton of coverage. They're not necessarily sexy. It's not cloud computing, um, but they have earnings growth. They maybe have more earnings growth than what we thought they would have six months ago when we were still in the midst of uh, rate hike hell. Uh, And I think they can weather uh, the situation better than their counterparts 20 years ago if rates had been going up as quickly as they just did and the reason why is they went into the rate hiking cycle having already pushed out maturities on debt, stockpiled cash. Don't forget, we had buyback cancellations as recently as 18 months ago, um, and we've had enough layoffs uh, in, in, in the economy uh, where these companies are, are fairly lean. So I, I like everything that she's discussed, and I, and I echo her sentiment on housing especially. If you saw those numbers today, home prices are now going back up. It takes almost nothing mm-hmm. on the mortgage front to see a reacceleration in demand for homes. And that's demographic. It's not even the economy. It's literally the age that people are. Um, they have to do it. And so I love that theme. I think it's going to work this year, too. So, Rob, global hedge funds, according to Reuters, citing Goldman Sachs data, sold tech stocks at their highest pace in almost eight months in the week ending uh, February 23rd. Bank of America equity client flow trends. They may be buying comm services, but comm services doesn't encapsulate what we're really talking about in the total of big tech mag seven. They're selling tech, by the way, according to uh, those flows that Bank of America is seeing. We've been asking the question almost every day and now for almost every week. Is it time to buy things other than tech? It feels like you guys think the moment is here. In, in some respects, maybe you're a little more selective than mm-hmm. these two to, to my immediate left. But has the moment really arrived? I don't know if it's here yet, but it's coming. There, there's no doubt it's coming. Well, I mean, Josh and just gave you a, a bunch of good to, data to suggest totally. that it's not and, only coming, and, and, it's and been here. Look, it's just been, it, it's maybe been under the surface. It hasn't gotten enough talk. And the idea that the small caps are the litmus test for broadening is wrong. It's all these other areas to why industrials, more than half of industrials are less than 5% from their all-time highs. I could go down other areas too. And you have, you have tons of names that have, have perked up. When we look at our portfolios, our average portfolio, even though we own some of these large cap tech names, our average portfolio trades at a 20% discount to, from a PE standpoint to each one of their, their sectors, their relevant benchmarks. And I think the, the thing that you have to pay attention to is tech has been the sector with the most upward revisions, right? And that's been the biggest drive right now year to date. The other thing that I would say is the most positive factor year to date has been momentum. 
And while every day, not every day, every week at our investment committee meetings, we talk about when we're going to make these reductions, I think the one thing that we always ask ourselves is when is momentum going to break? And I think that's what every fundamentalist hedge fund struggles with because they're fundamentalist. And so it's natural that they're going to be on the early side of that. We thankfully have not. Mm -hmm. And we've ridden them a long time, but we're totally acknowledging that this is the most expensive area of the market. You can own it in a basket. And frankly, Google's cheap. It's got some issues, but Google's cheap on a relative basis. There are people like Stacey Raskin who covers NVIDIA who would suggest that NVIDIA is cheap. <laughs> You're going back there with me again. It, I mean, it is now, but if you've looked at it, it's because of the explosive earnings growth they had. And it's, it's hard for us to chase that. Now, if we'd been in a name like Lilly, which we talked about this the last time, we've been there a long time, we've owned it for a long time, we have huge tax consequences in migrating out. So we're respecting okay. the momentum in the names that we own. Here you go. You, you don't own NVIDIA. Because right? you told me last time that you, you don't own it, you missed it. You were I missed it. You I missed was it. honest But let me it. ask you that, because this is perfect, too. If you have money that you think you want to finally put into the market from whatever source you, you have it, would you buy Caterpillar today, <laughs> which was at 204 a year ago. It is now 325 okay? It's not that far from its 52-week high. Or would you buy NVIDIA today? Which one would I'd you buy? I'd probably buy the industrial. But I'm, I, we, 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 don't, we don't own either. I know, that's it's, why I asked it, you the it, question. It, it's, it's really hard for us to chase that very cyclical sector, which has four of their biggest customers launching their own AI chips. Granted, it's going to take a long time long time to get there there's very powerful short-term trends but we're not we're not kind of we're not traders we've decided in that space to own totally different things we own broadcom you know we own klac we own a bunch of stuff that's done incredibly well not as well as nvidia it is what it is but it's done incredibly well but you, right but you also subscribe to what i believe as better than expected gdp and it's been yes. longer than expected. Yes. So how could you not feel good about owning some cyclicalities, especially some of these industrial, especially something like, I mean, I'm talking my book on Quanta, but Caterpillars are trading at 15 times. Mm -hmm. and, and there's a whole host of other stocks yeah, that are very reason. cyclical that have, uh, that it, because the economy is doing better right. than expected, which was a call we had in why we thought the, Fed, the market was way off sides from the Fed. Now, thankfully, the market's coming back in. Mm -hmm. And that's been digested incredibly well, which shows you some of the underlying health. I'm going to tell you something. When we think about how do you manage around this when you have a bunch of very expensive stocks, right? And you have clients that have huge embedded gains. We're tipping up near all-time highs. We're using put spread collars for clients. We've been doing it over the last week. You're selling away a little of your upside. You're doing a put spread on the downside. And what ends up happening is you've managed the risk in that exposure in the short run to some of those big names maybe coming in without creating huge tax consequences. So when you talk about where you're going to put money to work, if we profit on that trade, Scott, we're going to have more to put to work. And I can guarantee you it is not going into the MAG-7. Well, how do you, you said Alphabet's cheap. How do you know it's cheap? Mm. How do you know it's cheap? Well, when you, when you, look, when you look at Google uh, or, or Alphabet, I guess. You call it whatever you want. <laughs> I, I, I'll call it that. <laughs> 
I will tell you that it trades at a discount to the market right now. What's its forward? It's 24. 18, no, no, it's forward. It doesn't trade at a discount. It still trades as a, at, at a premium. Slight. It's at like 19 uh, times. It's, it's like, like 19, 19 times. Yes. yes. If you believe the numbers. Because well, they well, haven't listen, been able to deliver on the numbers. Their healthy fundamentals have cheap been overshadowed by management missteps. I'll come to you in a right? sec, Josh. Hang on. Um, I think there's concerns about reliability in their AI models. You type some things in and, you know, some unexpected things uh, come out. I would call that, 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 that a management misstep, right? So you've seen a little bit of backup. There's long-term concerns about the moat around their cloud computing business. Business, but in in lack of progress on operational efficiency, but it is one of the best positioned companies to capitalize on AI if they get their house in order. And you could take me back well over a year ago when we were saying some of the same negative things about Meta, okay? And they got their house in order. Meta cut 22% of their workforce. Over the last year, Google cut four. There's room there. I'm telling you, there's operational leverage in that business, and I'm comfortable being overweight that in our growth portfolio. Okay, Josh, you want to say? I fully agree with uh, what Rob is saying on Alphabet, and the parallels to, to Meta should not be lost on the audience. Meta looked like it was finished at the low. Uh, the, the, the low was like Jimmy Kramer after the earnings on the air, like basically apologizing for, for being bullish on it. Um, but the bulls were right. Jim was ultimately right. And, uh, you know, Meta, Meta was in that place for a variety of reasons. And it's different reasons why Alphabet's there. They have not done as much as Meta has done to, quote unquote, streamline or, or get fit. And as we talked about yesterday, there are probably some problematic uh, ideas circulating around the headquarters that have nothing to do with running a business successfully. Um, but... They're still extremely profitable, and they have like a lot of talent that's not uh, Sundar, uh, Roof being a really great example. And she seems as though she wants to get more aggressive cutting. Look at what they started to do with the other bet stuff, um, basically rein in the kindergarten that they have in an airplane hangar out there. So I think that there is a lot of opportunity for Google to right the ship. Okay. Um, but I don't expect anything out of this stock right now. It, it, it looks like they're trying to turn themselves into like the Bud Light of technology. People are not going to revisit this stock anytime <laughs> soon until they, until they demonstrate that, they're, that right. they're as serious as Zuckerberg was right. a year ago. Do, do, we, do we expect anything out of another name that starts with an A in the, in the Mag 7, which feels like it just hasn't gotten a lot of love, Jason Snipe, lately, and that's Apple? Yeah. Six months, the stock is no money. It's up 1.5%. Yep. Everything else in the space is up astronomically more than that, with the exception of Alphabet, when we talked about the well-documented issues and the most recent pullback in the stock, which was more dramatic than in a greater period of time. They have their shareholder meeting tomorrow. Yep. I don't know what's going to happen there. I don't know if it's a stock moving event or not. We'll find out if anything gets announced. Doesn't usually fall in that category. But nonetheless, what's the issue here? Yeah, no. I mean, listen, the stock is down 6% year to date, right? Um, you know, I, I think for me, there's, there's a couple of things. One, on the earnings report, China was a mess. China was down 13% and was not a good quarter in China. And we know what's happening over in China. Um, you know, I think the AI play, again, Apple is not being identified or recognized as an AI player. Yet. But yet, to, to your point, <laughs> to your point, Seth, yet, 
I don't know if they're going to talk about anything tomorrow. I think that comes no, later. No, probably kind of coming. Right? I think that comes later in the, in the year. Summer. But I think that uh, eventually, Apple will be. Again, they're they're one of the most innovative players in the space. They will be rewarded, and they're going to do something. Steph, you want to give me a quick thought before we take a break on Apple because it's a recent, relatively recent move for you to get into it. Yeah, so I've been underweight forever. I still am, but I've been adding to it on weakness, down 10% from its highs. I thought the quarter was just fine. Nothing to get too excited about, but the guidance, we got it cut, got that out of the way. Impressively to me with services is going to stay double-digit growth. April quarter, you likely get a new $90 billion buyback. WWDC is in June. You have a couple of catalyst. Everybody hates this thing now. I'm going the other way. All right, up next, we're going to talk Zoom. The shares are popping on earnings. Josh Brown in that name. We get his take. We do have big moves in Lowe's and AutoZone as well. Those stocks hitting new highs. We'll get the trades from the committee and we'll do it all next. Are you following the Halftime Report podcast? What are you waiting for? Look for us in your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime Podcast now. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Dow, as you see there, uh, down a little more than 170. Zoom shares, though, not down at all, up better than 7%. That's on the back of earnings. Josh Brown, you are in this name. Give us your take. I am. They beat on the top and bottom lines. The earnings were $1.22 versus $1.15 expected. Uh, that's on $1.15 billion in revenue versus $1.13. So a very narrow beat. Revenue is still not growing. It was growth of about 3% year over year. The good news is people were expecting flat. So I guess 3% is great in that, in that context. They, but I know, I know a very big thing about the stock that a lot of people don't know. The analysts covering it know, but it's almost as if like nobody wants to hear this. They are right under everyone's noses transforming into an enterprise business. And again, not, not quickly, but they are. 220,400 enterprise customers at the end of the quarter. And they also have uh, an AI product um, that it's a, it's a chat related product and that's got over 100,000 users. So there's some signs of life here. The expectations will remain low. I like that setup. I consider this to be value tech. No one's gonna get excited about it. It ain't gonna hit the momentum lists. And technically, 
it's still in a no man's land. Even with today's pop, it's below the 50, below the 200. Mm -hmm. So I'm not like racing out to buy more, but I don't want to sell because I still think they're going to find that, that growth that's been elusive for the last uh, eight quarters. And when they do, you won't be able to buy it because the stock is going to front run that. All right. So it's highs of the day for shares of ZM. Uh, lows today, Jason Snipe, on the back of earnings, new 52-week high. Your view? Yeah, no, listen, I, I like this one. Listen, they, they beat again on the top and the bottom line. Again, you know, the, the bar was set lower, right? But if, if I look at seasonally, they're getting ready for their Super Bowl. This is the time where the spending happens. Yes, home prices are up 46% since 2019, less turnover and moving around. But um, I, I, I do like what they're doing. Their margins are expanding. I think they got some operational leverage. Rob, you own both Lowe's and Home Depot. Yeah, in terms of lows, it's a matter of jumping over a low bar, and they set the bar lower again. Trading at 18 times, I think it's a it's a position that can can do continue to do well. Um, we we like Home Depot. We've owned it a long time. We think we can be patient as revenues uh, reaccelerate. It's it's the highest quality business in the industry. Jason AutoZone all time high today on the back of its own earnings. What do you think about this one? Yeah, another one. I mean, I, I think it, again, it's emblematic of the interest rate environment that we're in. That a, aging vehicles are only increasing. Um, they're they're doing some good work in the commercial side of their business, and I think that's why it's continues to move. Talk some Exxon, Chevron, Hess, and the drama deal. Chevron's deal. Uh, Exxon may challenge yep. uh, this, Stephanie Link, according to what we've been reading over the last 24 hours or so. What's your view here? You I don't... Own, you own I, them. Well, you don't own them both. You got rid of Chevron, now you have Exxon. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I sold Chevron. Uh, I mean, that, that stock was terrible <laughs> last year, and then they went out and bought Hess, right? And then they're going internationally versus uh, in the States. And Exxon's doing the exact opposite, buying Pioneer. So that's why I sold Chevron and bought Exxon. I don't think Exxon's going after Hess. I'd be shocked. I really, I just think that they are so focused on executing the things that they've already done um, and really expanding this Pioneer, and that's where I want to be. This stock is super cheap, but 5.6 times earnings, earnings, and it has one of the highest dividends in the industry huge cash flow. So I like this one way better than Chevron. Chevron seems to have lost its way. You, you bounced it out of your book, too. I Jason did. Snipe, I right? did. I, I sold it about a little over a month and a half ago. And I think for me, it's an execution story. I think, mm. Steph, you just you just hit on the hit, hit it on the head. Um, listen, I, this Hess deal could they didn't pay a premium for it. So I think it's a reasonable deal. But we'll see what happens. It's messy right now. All right. Let's get the headlines now with Courtney Reagan. Hey, Court. Scott. President Biden spoke briefly at the top of the meeting with congressional leaders at the White House that's currently underway. And the president pressed the need for Ukraine funding, calling it urgent, and said it's Congress's responsibility to fund the government as leaders face a Friday deadline for a partial shutdown. The White House announced today that the president will meet with members of the Teamsters Union next month. The scheduled event follows a prior meeting with Republican rival Donald Trump as one of the nation's largest unions remains undecided on who to endorse in the 2024 elections. And he won a Nobel Prize in 2022. Now he's being sent to prison. Oleg Orlov, who's the co-chair of the Human Rights Group Memorial, sentenced in Moscow today to two and a half years in prison for criticizing the invasion of Ukraine by, quote, repeatedly discrediting the Russian military. And denouncing the war yet again, Orlov said in a statement to court that he neither regrets anything nor will he repent for anything. Brave man. Scott, back over to you. All right, Court, appreciate that. Courtney Reagan up next. A new regime. BlackRock says it's time to double down on this strategy if you want a meaning, if you want meaningful returns in this market. I'll tell you what it is, what the committee thinks about it as well. Next.
What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, welcome back to the Halftime Report. BlackRock today making the case for active management, saying there is, quote, a new regime in the market. The world's biggest asset manager says higher rates, persistent inflation, and geopolitical risks give active managers a better opportunity to beat buy-and-hold strategies. Of course, they're, you know, they've capitalized on, on index investing, uh, but now they see a, a, a new regime. I'd like everybody's take. Josh, I'll come to you in a minute, but I want everybody's take up here. We do have, obviously, you know, we're talking our book in some respects for those who are here. Um, we have active managers in the most part. What, what do you want to make of this, what they suggest? We have active and passive, but it's definitely the environment for active. As they said, higher for longer, inflation remaining sticky. That's an environment that's challenging for lots of companies, and active management becomes more valuable. You, you can look at international, you can look at value, you can look at small cap, and while broadly they're not doing well, there's names in each one of those, uh, those uh, asset classes that are doing tremendous tremendously well. We uh, we looked at utilities. We don't own many utilities, mm-hmm. right? But we own Vistra Energy Corp, right? It's up 29% year to date in the worst performing sector in the S&P down three. Why is that? Because there's a distinction between sector, market-based investing, ETF-based investing that changes things. And let's be honest, ETFification has pushed some multiples to what we believe to be unsustainable levels just because of their construction. Price is going to matter prospectively, for sure. It's also sort of, as David Einhorn has, has made the case, Jason, it's distorted the way that stocks are viewed. It's, it's harder to do your work, right. so to speak, um, in the environment of passive investing where it's like set it and forget it. Right. And you never get a bottoms up stock picking view anymore. Right. Or certainly it's much more difficult to execute that strategy than it was perhaps in the past. I couldn't agree more. I think, you know, given the macro backdrop and all the moving parts, listen, the market's a very dynamic place. It's, it's always been this way. But given the, some of the challenges that we have right now, I think it's very important to do the work um, and figure out ultimately where you need to be. And I think that is connected to, obviously, active management. I think you need to be nimble in a market like this. Now, there's always issues out there, though, right? Mm-hmm. It's not just all of a sudden, you know, there may be a, maybe it's better said as a different regime rather than a new regime, because there's always some stuff. Right. That, that has the propensity to cause volatility in the market where the active management community would say, see, this is what we're here for. This mm-hmm. is why you need us and not the set it and forget it, buy the ETFs and just let it let it run. <laughs> Maybe it's a little bit nuanced this time because the interest rate equation is, is um, obviously front and center and unknown. I think you want to have both and you want to have exposure to both because if you think about on the passive side, the long-term total return for the S&P 500 is 7.7%. Not bad. 
not as good as last year for sure, right, when we were up 26%, but not as bad as 18% decline the two years prior. So long-term average, that's a really good number. By the way, long-term average for fixed income is about 3%. On the active side, the way I look at it is, so you have passive, and then you use active for alpha generation, especially as basis points are coming down in the industry, as we all know. There's fee compression because of passive, by the way. So it's actually more attractive to own some more active in your portfolio because it's, it's costing you less. Um, I, I just think that it's really hard. People say they buy low and sell high. Most people buy high and sell low. And so you really do want to do your homework in terms of who the active managers are and what the strategies and styles are. You got to get that right, too. Yeah, maybe that. Well, maybe that is, is the most important thing of all. Josh Brown, your take. I think it is true that in a rising rate environment, uh, it, it, there are probably going to be a higher number of active fund managers who find things to do that help them outperform. The problem is there is no academic literature uh, anywhere at any time that states that A, anyone can select those active managers in advance, or B, that there's any persistence to performance, meaning even if you pick like only fund managers who are in the top 20, uh, 25% of all performers over a five-year period, you have an equal chance of those fund managers that you picked being in the bottom of the distribution than you do having them be back in the top. In fact, it's very slim chance that anyone can have performance that beats the S&P over 10 years. It almost is non-existent. And once again, there are people who can do it. You have no way of knowing who they will be 10 years earlier to select them and hang on. So I think what most wealth management people are doing, where they're using active management, it's sensibly and with a specific outcome in mind. But for the most part, most of the benefit is going to be in how they allocate assets to begin with, uh, number one, and number two, after-tax alpha. Like, how much did it cost to invest this money? Because as we all know, you can't eat pre-cost, pre-tax returns. You only get what you get after costs and after tax. So it's complicated. I wish I had an hour. I don't. So that's all I'll say on that subject. All right. Up next, we're going to do our calls of the day. A number of committee stocks are on the move and getting talked about on the street. We'll tell you what they are next. Let's do some calls of the day. Uh, we're going to start with Netflix. Price target increase to 685 from 570 UBS. New 52-week high today. Jason Snipe, you own the stock. Yeah, listen, I mean, it, to me, they're, they're clear winner in the space, obviously. Um, 29 million new subs in 2023. 20 through 20, 2020 through 2022 is average around 21 million. But I think the big focus for me is their focus on profitability over subgrowth. Right. And I think that's where they are winning. They're increasing prices. You know, so all the metrics are when, are working, paid sharing as well as ad sports. Since we're talking about streaming, I, I should let everybody know that CNBC.com's Alex Sherman within the last hour breaking a story that Warner Brothers Discovery has halted merger talks mm. with Paramount Global. So we'll keep our uh, we'll keep our eyes on that uh, as we look at the whole streaming complex, as you take a look at. Uh, both of those stocks looks like Paramount's losing a, a little bit on those reports, again, by our own Alex Sherman, CNBC.com. You can go there and read his full uh, recap of that. Uh, Lily, talked about that earlier, Rob Seachin. Price target goes to 850 from 680. Berenberg, 
I don't think I need to tell you why there's so much optimism around this stock. It is getting a little expensive, though, no? It is. In fact, one of our next moves is probably to trim the name. We've owned it for a long time. I think you still, like we've said, have to respect the momentum that's in this market as the most powerful factor. These, uh, these revenues are growing at 600% year on year for these drugs. They're 30% of total revenue. But at 43 times, it's a different place than we entered the company. GE, price target to 177 at Wells. Snowflake, price target to 290 at City. Stephanie Link has both. So GE has an analyst day uh, on the 7th of March, and I think they are going to reiterate their long-term targets uh, for low double-digit organic growth, uh, margin expansion. I think there's a lot they can do on cost-cutting. That's for aerospace. Yeah, that's for aerospace, but that's really what I kind of care about Mm because they are spinning out Vernova in the Mm -hmm. second quarter. Um, And so I do think, though, that uh, there's a lot they can do in the cost-cutting front still because their SG&A is 14% of total revenue and something like Raytheon is 8%. So I think there's a lot more that they can do there. Um, And of course, we will get more details about Vernova on Snowflake. Yes, this one I am scared about, Scott, as I always (laughs) am scared about a lot of earnings, but I do like the story. Uh, Data is the lifeblood for AI. That's what these guys do in size and scale. It's a new product cycle story. I do think they're going to guide 30% product revenue growth for the full year. That's good. Only problem is it's expensive. Uh, I have every intention of buying this on, on the on a pullback. Okay, a quick break. Got two big winners, two big losers, and Mike Santoli still ahead. We're back. Our senior markets commentator, Mike Santoli, has joined the desk for his midday word. Mega caps a little tired, yeah. maybe waiting on PCE. Are those basically the, the themes? That it feels like we're a little apprehensive it? ahead of it. Um, you know, we've had these kind of internal, you know, digestion periods for, uh, you know, over the course of this, by the way, four months since the low uh, is today. Uh, it's, mm. you know, November, uh, October 27th, you're up like 23%. So it seems like we've, we, we've gone that period of time without a 3% pullback from the S&P. And the only way you do that is obviously strong momentum in the up moves, but then also just kind of rotation instead of broad, urgent selling on the down moves. That's the way it's been so far. You know, can you be so lucky that it stays like that for long? Usually you get several 3 to 5% pullbacks for basically no reason over the course of a year. And we haven't had one in four months. Josh Brown making the point at the very top of the program, along with some here as well, that don't tell me that it's the market's not broadening because there are a sure. lot of big stocks in a lot of different sectors that are at or near new highs. Yes. So don't look at the Russell to tell you whether the market's broad. Sure. Look at these other massive stocks that are doing really well. Yeah, there's been pockets of strength um, throughout, you know, industrials, consumer related stuff uh, has done well. I was just actually looking too since the low, um, everything outside the S&P 500, which is the completion index, it's the VXF uh, ETF, is five percentage points ahead of the S&P 500. Mm. So if you just avoided the 500, you did better just because obviously coming off a deeper uh, correction and also a lot of the big stocks not yet in the index are the story stocks. It's the, it's the crowd strikes and, and things like that, or just other uh, kind of stocks that have not yet been inducted, but are these uh, big software names and things like that. And by the way, we're back to a case where if you look at the top of the Russell, it's momentum retail-driven stocks right now. It's Elf Beauty is like number two right now. 
uh, in the Brussels. All right, great insight. As always, Mike, thanks. We'll see you on Closing Bell. Mike Santoli, straight ahead, a pair of healthcare stocks heating up today. We're going to trade him. There's two other big movers. We're back with two big winners and losers. Take a look right there. It's Viking Therapeutics. Uh, what a move uh, today, announcing that it had met primary and secondary endpoints of its phase two GLP-1 study. All those stocks getting big lifts, including this one. By the way, tonight, CNBC, or Thursday, excuse me, premiering this Thursday, 10 p.m. Eastern time. Melissa Lee has a documentary that she's reporting. Big shot, the Ozempic revolution. Don't miss that. Uh, Hims and hers, by the way, another healthcare stock. They beat on earnings Revenue miss. Take a look at that stock because Jim Cramer has the CEO on Mad Money. That's tonight. Tell you about those. And then losers today, we want to highlight for you. Unity Software is a loser today. Car Gurus, too. You take a look at uh, both of those stocks and uh, down rather substantially on the day. We're back with finals next. Jam-packed closing bell today, 3 o'clock Eastern. I hope you will join me. Liz Young will, along with Marcy McGregor, King Lip. So we're talking some tech. Jonathan Krinsky on the technical, on the technicals of this market. And Oxy CEO Vicki Hollum. Can't wait for that. They're ringing the closing bell. She's going to come sit with us here at Post 9 as well. Josh Brown, final trade. What you have? Sticking with Zoom. Okay, thank you. Siege eBay, very low bar going into this earnings report. We'll see if they return to profitability. If not this time, probably next. Okay, Jason Snipe. Ulta Beauty, sales are up 18%. I like this one. All right. Uh, all right. And uh, Steph Link. Estee Lauder. This one is down and out, but I think last quarter was an inflection point. They've fixed the uh, inventories in Asia. I still like their product profile, and I think estimates are very conservative. Feels like it's turned around a bit, right? I mean, it's had a nice move over the last uh, few months after some serious questions. Uh, absolutely, uh, but it's still down 48% from its high. So well, I think there's an opportunity. China's been a problem. Has right? been, but maybe, I think they're fixing it. Maybe it's turning. Okay. Great stuff, everybody. I'll see you all on Closing Bell. I hope you'll join me then. The exchange is right now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report Disclaimer. I won't let my moderate to severe plaque psoriasis symptoms define me. Emerge as you. In two clinical studies, Trimphia guselcumab, taken by injection, provided 90% clearer skin at 16 weeks in 7 out of 10 adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis. In a study, nearly 7 out of 10 patients with 90% clearer skin at 16 weeks were still clearer at 5 years. At one year and thereafter, patients and healthcare providers knew that Trimphia was being used. This may have increased results. Results may vary. Serious allergic reactions may occur. Trimphia may increase your risk of infections and lower your ability to fight them. 
Before treatment, your doctor should check you for infections and tuberculosis. Tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms of infection including fever, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough. Tell your doctor if you had a vaccine or plan to. Emerge as you. Learn more about Tremphia, including important safety information at tremphia.com or call 1-877-578-3527. See our ad in Food & Wine magazine. For patients prescribed Tremphia, cost support may be available. Tremphia.